You're listening to Gospel-Centered Rest, a podcast by Grace Bible Church in Cambridge, Ontario, dealing with topics of life and theology, and how Christ's promise of rest for the weary and heavy-laden gives us strength for today and hope for tomorrow. Welcome back to Gospel-Centered Rest. We are so glad that you're joining us. And today, just like last week, I'm joined by Pastor Byron Burton, who happens to also be a associate pastor at Grace Bible Church, along with myself. And Byron and I are, have the privilege of preaching through portions of the book of John. We're focusing on Sundays on the signs of Christ and how important these signs are to Jesus being revealed as the Messiah and as the King. And this past Sunday, I preached on John chapter 5, the healing of the sick man at Bethesda. And what Byron and I are going to do here today is a little different than what we've done other weeks. We're just going to make this episode more of a conversation between the two of us. And so we're going to be discussing some of the major themes here in this passage, and we're hoping to do the same thing next week and the week following. So Byron, why don't you summarize for us what's happening here in this this chapter, and then we can get right into our discussion. All right. Let's pick it up in John 5. Jesus comes back to town, to Jerusalem, and he ends up at a place called Bethesda. And it says there's a great number of disabled people used to lie there, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. So there's this crowd of people, and Jesus deliberately goes there. Verse 5, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Let's stop there. Okay. Tyler, on obviously Jesus chose Mm -hmm. this man. And then it seems like he goes on this search and finds him at the temple. What are your thoughts? Why did Jesus point pointedly pick this guy out of the crowd? Good question. I, I think that Christ is, is uh, if I was to use some speculation here, because obviously we don't, we don't know for certain because the text doesn't tell us, but, but I think um, the overall picture of what Jesus is, is trying to do here is to illustrate something for us. I think he's trying to illustrate the fact that his grace is extended to those who actually don't believe that, it, that in a benevolent way, 
um, God's grace can still be extended, not in a salvation kind of way to somebody who's unrepentant, but in a benevolent way, in a physical way, perhaps. Um, And so I think what, what Christ is trying to do here is to illustrate just another aspect of his grace where, where we look at this man who's, who's a sinner, um, and, and we find out later, and we're going to discuss this, but uh, his, his, uh, his paralysis is likely a result of his sin. So this guy's a sinner, and he seems prickly, he seems hardened, uh, he seems kind of like an angry person. When Jesus is talking to him, he's complaining. Uh, we would look at this kind of person and not want to give them the time of day, uh, naturally, and so what Jesus is doing is Jesus is going out of his way to seek this man out, uh, to heal him, and then to follow up with him and to have that conversation about the real spiritual side, that it's not about physical healing. The gospel isn't about physical healing. It's about a spiritual healing. And so we see Christ extend his grace even further when he goes and he meets him in the temple. And if you think about it this way, I mean, this guy, he's walking for the first time in 36 years. And he's not just walking, but he's made well again. He's made whole again. And the temple, you had to crawl these steps to get up into the temple. And so likely the guy's in the temple because he's now able to walk up the steps. But also, people that were disabled were not allowed in the temple. They weren't allowed in that portion of the temple. And so now he's healed. Now he's feeling better. Uh, and he can he can partake of what's happening up there. So that's probably likely why he's up there and why I think Jesus seeks him out. Okay. It's neat to see, obviously John's giving us these signs, mm-hmm. and he talks about these different people, how they respond to the signs. Tell me a little bit your thoughts of how this man responds to the sign that he's experienced when, when Jesus heals him. Yeah, it's very, very different than what we see in the rest of the book of John with the other signs. And you could even uh, comment on this too, Byron, but when you look at the other signs in the book of John, especially people that are healed, and I'm thinking in in particular the man in chapter 9 who was blind Mm -hmm. and he was healed, they have a gratefulness about them. They're thankful that they were healed. Uh, The man in chapter 9 actually shows a repentant attitude and a spiritual transformation. Um, if we look in John chapter 9, Jesus uh, says to him, starting in verse uh, 36, actually, let's just start in verse, verse uh, 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out, and when he found him, he asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man responds, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? He asked. Jesus answered, uh, You have seen him. In fact, he is the one who is speaking to you now. And the man responds, I believe, Lord. He said, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, I come into this world for judgment in order that those who do not see will see, and those who do see will become blind. And some of the Pharisees who were there with him heard these things and asked him, why aren't blind? We aren't blind too, are we? And Jesus responded, if, if you were blind, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have sinned. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. And so we see a completely different response in this man compared to what happens here in chapter 5. This man shows belief, shows repentance, 
and he, he also defends Jesus. We see that earlier on in the chapter. In chapter 5, this guy doesn't defend Jesus. He throws Jesus under the bus, and he doesn't believe. And so we see that, we see that contrast here. And I think, I think, again, the reason why we have this sign, and it's so different than the others, is, again, an illustration of Christ showing his benevolent grace, um, that he can heal people that aren't repentant, that he does show grace to all of humanity, uh, may, not always uh, in, a, in a salvation sense, but we can learn something a lot about the character of Christ through this, through this part. That, that's neat. And I think it fits so well in John's structure, where mm-hmm. if he's writing this so that people will believe, if he's sharing these signs, wanting them to see it so that they can know the eternal life that he's found, it just makes such sense that he says, not everybody's going to respond the same way. Mm-hmm. That somebody mm-hmm. can see a sign and believe, like the man in chapter 9, Yeah. or someone can see the sign, like the guy in chapter 5, and not believe. And obviously mm-hmm. the Jewish leaders, it's not like they're not seeing this either, mm-hmm. but they're choosing not to believe. He writes the book to lay out the signs, but we're still responsible for yeah. how we respond. What do we do? Yeah, that's good. Well, here, here's a question for you, Byron. Um, Jesus seems to draw a, a direct line between the man's sickness and his sin when he warns him in verse 14. He says, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. How do we avoid judging or drawing false conclusions while at the same time recognizing the possible connections between sickness and sin? If one of our loved ones is sick, is it because of sin? I guess my thought would be the first thing is not to jump. Mm. Don't assume. Obviously, Jesus had insight that you and I don't. And yet, we also don't want to go so far to say sin has no connection with sickness. Mm -hmm. Jesus obviously makes a very direct connection here. Some would suggest that the reason he healed this man out of all those who were around the pool was that this man had a very obvious connection. We're not told what it is. We're not told what his sin is. But he's Mm -hmm. been sick for 38 years, and Jesus implies pretty directly that's because of your sin. You're well now. Don't do it again. Mm-hmm. Or else. And you think, or else. Or else, what's worse than 38 years of sickness? Mm-hmm. Well, there's only a few things. So that reality, to temper in our minds to say, I don't want to assume that someone's sick because of sin, because that's very definitely not an assumption we can make. We can't mm-hmm. draw that line. Mm-hmm. And some people seem to like to do it real quick and yet we need to be open to that and talk to people is there a sin component here that's connected Mm -hmm. and does that need to be addressed obviously jesus addressed it very directly here with the man Mm -hmm. well i I even think about the book of job right when his friends come to him and try to give him advice and one of the connect this is the connection that they make well there must be sin in your life, Job. You must not be a righteous man. And that wasn't the case at all, right? Like we knew more about what was happening with Job from reading the first chapter of Job than Job actually knew. And we don't even know if 
if God ever revealed to Job throughout his whole lifetime as to what actually took place. Uh, but we know that it wasn't because of a, of a sin that Job had or that Job had committed in his life, but it was part of the sovereign act of God and God's will and what had taken place, the conversation between God and Satan in uh, chapter 1. But here, I just think it's so interesting that that Jesus specifically makes the connection, right? It's not like Job's friend, where it's just kind of thrown out there to try to give an answer as to what's going on. Jesus does make the connection. So obviously the connection, there is a connection somewhere. We just, we just don't know, Yeah, right? So true. We're just uncertain. Now, let's move on a little bit further. Sure. Um, obviously the Pharisees, their, their antenna are up. Who told you to do this? Mm-hmm. You know, who dared tell you to pick up your mat and walk on the Sabbath? And John highlights that, and it becomes more of a theme. On Sunday, you brought us down into verses 16 to 18, mm-hmm. and how Jesus defends himself. When they challenge that, he says, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. And the result isn't, oh, oh well, that's okay now. Mm-hmm. It's a ratchet this way up so that they're incensed, and it says they tried all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Talk mm-hmm. about that for a little bit. Why yeah. do you think they responded so strongly mm-hmm. there? What, what's the connection? Now, I, I would personally argue that, that I, I believe the whole point of this whole passage and the whole point of what Jesus does here in chapter 5 is to illustrate something about the Sabbath and about the law. And we kind of see that happening here in these verses because it kind of like the passage kind of builds to this moment. And Christ sees, sees the moment to, uh, to, to basically drop this bomb that I am equal with God, that we are the same. And he would have known how they would have responded. He would have known that this would have irked them. And I think the reason why they were so upset by this is because it threatened their whole system. It threatened their whole way of life. They wanted a very specific kind of Messiah, probably one that would have submitted himself to their laws and to all of the imposed values that they put on the Sabbath and all the other laws. Uh, But that's not what they got. They got they got the Lord of the Sabbath, the one who established the Sabbath, uh, the one who says, listen, um, I'm the one who, who, who sets the standard for the Sabbath, and I've come to deliver not just a new standard for the Sabbath, but uh, I've come to fulfill the law, and I've come to be the spiritual rest that, that people need, that we all need. Um, and so I think that mainly they're upset because it is, it is threatening their way of life. And you had mentioned earlier how there's going to be some people who believe and some people who don't believe. And here we're seeing this, this disbelief, not just like this disbelief, but this hatred of God, this enemy of God. Um, you, you hear of Paul in Romans talking about how before we're, before we're in Christ, we are at enmity with God. And I think that's what you're seeing here is you're seeing this, this carnal fleshly response um, to Jesus because he's threatening their whole system. If, 
if Jesus is who he says he is, then that means they don't have the authority that they, that they claim to have and that he's going to be setting a new way of life. So a new standard, so to speak. Hey, that's neat. Mm-hmm. My father. To call, to call God Father, obviously. Mm. You know how some people say, oh, Jesus never, ever said he was God. That's just, you know, Christian getting right. things twisted and out of whack. Right. Well, you look at a passage like this and you think, okay, the exact words are not, I am right. God. Right. But the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they knew and understood exactly what he was saying. And Jesus doesn't say, hey, just a minute, you misunderstood me. Mm-hmm. He allows it to stand because they have correctly understood him, mm-hmm. that he is making himself equal with God. He's God the Son, and there is God the Father, and God the Spirit, and he is worthy of our worship. Mm-hmm. Amen. And I would, I would also add to that that, um, that these that these Pharisees, these, these religious Jews, didn't celebrate the grace that, that this man had, had received. Not once do we see them respond to the fact that this guy had been healed of 36 years of an ailment that was physically obvious. And they don't even respond to that. So that wasn't even, in their minds, they had already made up their mind, they weren't gonna believe the signs. The signs weren't gonna be. Yeah. Um, weren't going to be enough for them because uh, in their minds, they needed to protect the system that they had created and the system that, that they wanted to continue in. That makes sense. It's really exactly what this series is all about, right? Mm-hmm. Bringing people to look at the choice. Here's the sign. Mm-hmm. What are you going to choose? Are you going to believe in who Jesus is or are you going to do your own thing? Mm-hmm. Very good. Well, thank you, Byron, for the discussion today. We look forward to our discussion next week. Thanks, Tyler.